0: You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network.
1: Hi there, this is the legendary Tom DeFalco, and you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast.
2: Hello and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Fantastic Four, episode 21B, covering a period of the Fantastic Four from 1991. To be specific, this is the beginning of the Tom DeFalco-Paul Ryan run. I'm your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your Fantastic Four host, Eric Findlay. We we split this episode in two. This epic collection is the, it's the Fantastic Four epic collection, the new Fantastic Four. And in this epic collection, it's the tail end of Walter Simonson's run and then the very beginning of DeFalco's run. And if you listen to the last episode, you'll notice that uh, we we cut it right at the end of Walter Simonson. Because I thought we should have a good conversation about the end of Simonson's run, focusing on that. And then it would be a great place to actually start DeFalco's run and give that its own episode because it's the beginning. It's very
0: true. So which issues are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about Fantastic Four 355 through to 361 and uh, maybe address the afterword in this volume because it's pretty interesting. Sure. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh, We have some clips from Tom DeFalco and Ralph Macchio uh, from some interviews that I've conducted with them about this era of the Fantastic Four. So I will intersperse those throughout the episode. And I think we should probably give a little bit of backstory or history, our own personal history. Right. Because uh, that, I think that really informs how we view this era as right. well. Right.
0: Now, I've always been a Fantastic Four fan, which is why I'm, I'm, doing, I'm hosting these episodes. And part of the reason for that is because my very first comic that I bought, not the first one that I read, but the first one that I bought on my own. Like with your own allowance. With my own allowance money was Fantastic Four 358 which is in this volume it's the fourth issue at the beginning of this Tom DeFalco Paul Ryan run which I didn't know at the time yeah but just the opening of it and the story the way it's laid out it grabbed me right away now is it safe to say that you bought it because of the cover I probably bought it because of the cover because it has, the, it's the die cut it's yeah it's the 30th anniversary issue it's got the die cut in there yeah
2: and I think this was was it new on the stands, or fairly recently a back issue, or something like that? Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we we went to a small comic shop called Cos- Cosmos. Cosmos, and it was this guy that just had, he had comics and magazines and books and, yeah. and books and, and trading cards. That's where we started buying right. the Marvel the trading Universe card. yep. trading cards, which will come up later here. And uh, and yeah, I read that too because you bought it, and I would read what you bought, and yep. you would read what I bought. Exactly. <laughs> we bought different things,
0: which yeah. was made sense.
2: Yeah, a lot of people, either they don't like the Tom DeFalco run or they don't really give it a good, like the good time of day. B- mainly, I think, because it do- it's not as flashy as what's come before that. In a lot of ways, it's not.
0: But yeah. I, was, I was talking to um, Hartley of The Hartley Show, and um, he was saying that he doesn't, uh, he at the time felt similar to that. But now going back and reading it, he's found new appreciation for it. It is solid,
2: classic comic book writing. Yes. I am a huge fan of Tom DeFalco because he is just a, a good storyteller. Oh, He's yeah. He's got great ideas. He structures his stories well. And yeah. I really love the way he he just, um, he puts his characters through the ringer. And, in... and this, this first story arc is a great example of that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and we've. I've talked on this uh, podcast with my co-host Craig about Tom DeFalco's Thor run, and it's similar to that. Also following Walt Simonson's uh, <laughs> run on Thor. He's the cleanup guy. He is the cleanup guy. Yeah. So he he had to take something that was highly regarded mm-hmm. and turn it into something else, which was his own. And for Thor, he went back to the the Kirby Lee days and really gave it a Kirby Lee feel. With Fantastic Four, uh,
0: he didn't quite do the same thing, although he did bring things back to the basics. Right. And I think that's one of the things that I really that, that really hooked me is, uh, and I can't remember, I probably said this in another uh, episode, but the thing I like about Fantastic Four is it's not the Avengers where we're going to have a big battle to save the world every time. Yes, they do sometimes have large battles. Yes, they do save, you know, the universe occasionally. But the main emphasis is on scientific exploration and discovery and doing it as a family and the family relationships. So the family relationships come out in this first these first stories that we're going to talk about very today. Well, not as much the exploration, although they do right. go to outer space. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. and actually, having said that, it's funny because this first story arc probably has more battle than than exploration or family stuff. But <laughs> right, well, especially when you
2: consider the exploration that we just finished with Walter Simonson's stories. Right. Like there yes. was some big exploration oh, in yeah. time and space. Yes, and that was a that was a very big deal. Now. I'm going to play a clip right off the bat here from Tom DeFalco talking about the transition from Walter to himself.
1: The editor of the book was Ralph Macchio. Yeah. And I'd been working with Ralph on Thor for, I don't know how long. (laughs) A few years. Yeah. A few years. I'd, I'd been on Thor with Ron friends for a few years and, um, walt simon was on the ff and walt had decided that he was going to leave so ralph came to me and he asked me you know he says I, I need somebody for the ff and i i suggested a few names one of the names i kept saying you know chris claremont used to want to write the ff talk to chris because i figured that you know chris was another guy who could do great soap opera yeah i thought hey yeah you know get chris on, on the ff and Ralph spoke to Chris, and uh, Chris wasn't interested. Okay. Uh, I mean, he was in—he was interested, but he was overcommitted at that state with so many X-Men projects, and didn't want to, you know, leave any of the any of his current projects. Ralph spoke to, I think, two or three other people and for various reasons he couldn't go with any of them some were people who had done the ff previously you know one was a guy who had done the ff previously and he said listen i'll come back under one condition that i can basically erase everything that has happened since i left the book (laughs) (laughs) and ralph said you know i i don't know what ralph's response was but he uh he decided that that was not what he wanted to do.
2: Right. Oh, wow.
1: And he had spoken to a couple of other people and, and they all had so many preconditions precondi- that he came to me and he said, you know what, you know, uh, at, at that time, Thor, uh, that Ron friends and I were doing was one of our top news, newsstand selling books. And he said, we want the FF to be a top newsstand selling books. How about you and Ron take over the FF and, We'll get someone else for Thor. And I thought, oh, you know, that's an idea. You know, you know, you should talk to Ron. And I don't quite know where, how the conversation went and stuff. But basically, Ron and I were deeply involved with the Eric Masterson storyline at that time. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Ron basically said to me, he can't leave Eric at that stage. Oh, okay. Um, and, I, and I thought, yeah, know, well, I, I don't want to leave Ron at that stage either. And, I, you know, and we came back and said, you know, we we, we just can't do it. And then uh, Ralph said to me, well, well, how about if you just do it? And I, you know, and I thought about it and thought about it because I had a number of different commitments at that time, being editor in chief and doing, doing one monthly book, and thought, oh, man, can I really squeeze in a second monthly book? I would like grown very attached to those five hours of sleep that I was getting. <laughs> um, and I thought, man, do I really want to give that up? And um, and then thought, you know what? I, I, I was doing some other non-comic book work that I wasn't that happy with. You know, it paid very well, but but I thought, you know, uh, I think yeah, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'll give up some other diff- different type of work and uh, and and do the FF. And when I found out Paul Ryan was on it, I, you know, I had always liked Paul's work and and really liked Paul personally, and thought, you know, what the hell, take a shot, just see see if we can come up with <laughs> some some craziness that uh, can can spark the sales.
0: Right. The thing about the, the the cross time stuff is it's so interesting, but it's not for everybody. Yeah. But then the people especially who especially like, spend like I was looking at the dates on some things. This almost two years that they did that. Yeah, well, and it, the people who really
2: love that. Yeah. I feel the same way about Mark Wade's run on Fantastic Four, yeah. how it was so ingrained in the magical and supernatural yes, side of right. things and not as much the scientific. Yeah. And it's like that's fine for a story, yeah. but that was the focus of Mark Wade's entire run yeah. and I just didn't resonate with it as right. much as yeah. as the other stuff. But anyway. but Tom's work uh, he also structured his story so that every single issue is a self-contained story, but he loads it with so many B stories and C mm-hmm. stories that run through right. that it does have the sense of overarching stories and yeah. continuing. He calls it a soap opera drama.
0: Which is exactly what this first story arc is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. Nice. So, cool. so yeah, let's... Uh, I'm looking forward to that.
2: I, I, I am too and going through the rest of this run i haven't read some of this stuff since we were kids right. uh, so this is this is going to be a lot of fun and i hope that people who are listening will if you if you don't like the defalco run or if you maybe are on the fence about it or if you've never tried it out give it another shot give it another shot listen to what we have to say and we're going to make our best case for <laughs> why this this run is great and if it's not great, we'll say that too, because <laughs> yeah. I want to be fair. We're not right. sure we have this, this nostalgia bias, but I want to look at this um, in the sense of, yeah. you know, uh, giving it a fair shot compared to the other runs on Fantastic Four and, and how, it, how it dates itself or doesn't date itself or whatever. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Is there
0: anything that we need to know before going into this story? I think most of it was mentioned last time and was most relevant to those earlier issues. The big one is, uh, as most people, even if you have a sort of a passing knowledge of the Fantastic Four, knows, Ben Grimm and Alicia Masters dated for years on and off again. Yep. And they were dating when Secret Wars happened. And Ben, during that, decided to stay on Battleworld. Um, so he did not come back to Earth with everybody else. And that's because he could switch back and forth
2: between human and thing form.
0: And he also felt that while he was there, he felt more like... um, Accepted. Accepted and and less less out of place. And he felt, I can do some good here. Following that, because uh, Alicia was so close with the family, she was hanging out with them still, she started dating Johnny Storm. And they eventually got married in Fantastic Four... Three hundred. Yep,
2: which we've talked about. Which we have talked about. Uh, we talked about that in in the episode called "All in the Family."
0: Yeah, I think that's all we need to get into this.
2: You're probably right. The Vault is a new a, a new prison at this time. It first appeared in an Avengers Annual. I talked about that in an episode. What was it? I think it might have been the Collection Obsession. Uh, right around this time. So the Vault is a brand new prison. Uh, built in order to house supervillains and we'll see that pop up. It's just a minor detail. Yeah. You don't really no. need to know about it, but that's it's there.
0: One other thing um is in our first issue that we're gonna talk about we have the Wrecker. And yeah. we have uh Thunder Thunderball. Yeah. And so the Wrecker got his uh powers from the Enchantress who enchanted his crowbar with as Guardian Magic. Um, he split his power amongst some of his construction worker friends, and they formed the wrecking crew. And then there was like a series of betrayals, and he took all the power back.
2: Yeah, that was not an issue of Thor in 4.18. Uh, the wrecker wasn't on the team at that point, and Thunderball was the leader. Mm-hmm. And then the wrecker escapes and tries to take back control. And I think that he got sent to the vault at that time, and there is a, an Avengers one-shot, or graphic novel, I mean, called... Avengers Death Trap, The Vault, where Thunderball actually helps um, the the good guys contain a maximum security breakout at The Vault. Mm. So, And I think that's why Thunderball is Helping in, in prison right now in this story that we're going to talk about in a minute. Anything else? I think that's it. Before we start, I want to talk about um, a Twitter poll and and listener comments we didn't get to this in the last episode so we're going to do it now on twitter i asked what's your favorite ship from the englehart simonson defalco era and a ship is of course the modern kids lingo for relationship because those extra two syllables are too hard
0: (laughs) or three syllables
2: uh, so if you ship a character, it means which two do you like to see together? Like, that's yeah. wh- who's your, your fan favorite couple. Yeah. And I had to lump the Engelhart, Simonson, DeFalco era together because they really kind of act as one era of the Fantastic Four, uh, which is kind of the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and my your options are Ben and Alicia, Johnny and Alicia, Ben and Sharon, that's Sharon Ventura, who was she-thing during this era, and then Johnny and Elijah, which uh, if you don't know who that is, you need to keep on listening to this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you need yeah. to read the comics before yeah. you go on any further. So uh, do, you have a, do you have an opinion here?
0: Yeah. I would say Johnny and Elijah, not where they are now, but where they get to. Yeah. But sort of at the stage where we're reading right now, I would say that it would be actually Ben and Sharon. Um, I thought that they really um fit together well um they have a lot of baggage that they can help each other out with um they understand each other really well Hmm. yeah,
2: actually seeing them cope with especially with Ben helping her cope with the trauma of being a thing, yeah was uh, quite good to see in inglehart's right. story yeah, yeah, and Sharon just sort of disappears, <laughs> yes, and we will address address that for sure um uh, yeah, I mean, I would probably say, out of these options, Johnny and Elijah as well is the most interesting. Uh, I would pick that over Ben and Sharon, even though that's probably my close second. Ben and Alicia don't have a relationship during this time, so it's hard mm-hmm. to pick them. So, the, the number one vote here, it was a tie. I only got 12 votes, so <laughs> this one didn't really gain a lot of traction but the number one vote was a tie between ben and alicia and johnny and Elijah. and i think people voted for ben and alicia
0: just because it's it's ben and alicia oh yeah yeah but they don't really have a relationship during this era yeah and i mean if you're reading the modern comics they just got married finally yes after however many years yeah they're always sort of on again off again and uh they're they're a good relationship they're a good couple but uh i don't know and then yeah of course a tie
2: for last place (laughs) Johnny and Alicia, Ben and Sharon. So yeah, uh, just a, I don't know, run in the mill poll. Hopefully the next one will get a little bit more traction there.
0: I can't remember if I voted in there or not.
2: Let's move on to some listener comments over on Twitter. I asked people to give their feedback on this particular epic collection. So that includes the end of Simonson and the beginning of DeFalco. Mm-hmm. Johnny says, I'm in the midst of buying the issues. I loved Simonson's Thor run and was gutted when it ended. I thought his Avengers writing wasn't as strong as Stern's, so I didn't pick it up. Uh, so I didn't pick up FF. I was a weird kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you are enjoying them now that you're reading them. Um, eccentric Guy says, I loved it. Simonson did great with the new team. The Doctor Doom battle was a highlight, and I loved yeah. the TVA, the Time <laughs> Variance Authority. Right. Right. And uh, DeFalco had a solid start. Made me want to check out more of his run, and I hope Marvel gets to printing more of it. Uh, I hope so, too. I, I fully expect that when the, Epic continue, when the Epic Collections announce new volumes that they will fill in the rest of the Tom
0: DeFalco run pretty soon. Yeah, but the nice thing is that because it's not as widely regarded... Dollar bins. Can, yeah, <laughs> and, and also it was the 90s. They were overprinting things. Yep. Yeah, you can go to the 25-cent bins, dollar bins at the comic conventions and probably fill, it a, fill the run. Yeah, you probably can. At least up until just before 400. After that, it start, maybe it starts to get a little harder. Because that was Marvel's bankruptcy. there were slashing right. yeah. things. Yeah, and in. Uh, that, that sort of leads up to Onslaught. Yeah. And, yeah.
2: He also says Danny Fingeross issue 355 is a standout issue, and that's the first issue that we are going to be talking about today. Right. Okay, some more comments. These ones come from Facebook. Ben says Simonson made one of the definitive FF runs, and having the amazing Art Adams drawing an arc made made an already great book even better. That's the new Fantastic Four story. We talked yeah. about that in the last issue.
0: Yeah, in the last episode. Just to recap, I think it was really funny that um, they mentioned in this, uh, in I think it was in the afterword, that uh, Adams was brought on board to get the book back on schedule. <laughs> The guy who takes forever to draw stuff. But there's only three (laughs) issues, so.
2: Yeah. Uh, Let me see here. He also says, I love how they use the new Fantastic Four to spoof the current trends of the day, having Wolverine, Ghost Rider, and Spider-Man appearing in nearly every Marvel book, and even that cameo from The Punisher. And then also the the De DeFalco FF, in my opinion, was a letdown after Simonson. Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. If you really dug the whole bizarre time travel and all that kind of stuff, it's just off the wall. Yeah. And then DeFalco comes and kind of reins it in a little bit. I right. can see
0: that as being d- disappointing for sure. Yeah. And if you didn't already check out part A of this episode, then uh, we talk about uh, the new Fantastic Four and The reasons those characters were chosen sean says i like the stories in this volume the tva
2: was a fun story especially with their leader mark grunwald which we mentioned as well defalco tried really hard to return the ff to their roots introducing a lot of new characters i found it not so great at the time the 90s was a weird time for me looking back i enjoyed the run and ryan's artwork is especially nice oh yes Zach says, um, The major disappointment of this volume was the end of Simonson run, which was much too short. He was the reason I began collecting the Fantastic Four as a kid, and it is a testament to his craft that I've kept reading the stories ever since. The read Doom time-travel battle is a highlight in this book and really shows off Simonson's skill as a writer and an artist. The new Fantastic Four story showed a great sense of comic timing in his writing, and Art Adams' pencils are always welcome. As for the DeFalco-Ryan arc, I remember being less than enthusiastic when it started. But as the run went on, I found myself consistently rereading those issues because they're fun. They are. Definitely a classic style in the vein of 1960s
0: Marvel and will later become a pretty lengthy run on some with some epic changes. Yeah. Um, what he says about Simonson being the one who got him to read Fantastic Four and he still reads to this day because of that. Um, that's exactly my case with Defalco. Yeah, is he got me hooked on Fantastic Four, and I've read every single issue since. Right, and we talked about in the last issue, I think, um, that uh, Simonson wanted to sort of reset things in preparation for Defalco. And that really shows in how short his, his run, his, the end was. Yeah, he wrapped things up really yeah. quick. Like uh, we, we talked about last time, uh, Thing going from his spiky form back to his regular Thing form with no explanation.
2: Yeah. And Sharon returns a human. Yep. And the only thing that's left that needs to be undone is something that DeFalco takes care of in this first issue. Exactly. In, the fr- in his second, second issue. issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Timothy says the new Fantastic Four was a fun story. It still pays dividends today. <laughs> it yes. does. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and, didn't and, they and just come back recently? Well, yeah.
0: And the thing is, any time the Fantastic Four, almost any time, the Fantastic Four go away and need a replacement, they call those four. Yeah. The exception being uh, if it's longer term, which they formed the Ant-Man, She-Hulk team. Right. Um, when they went off with the Future Foundation. But other than that, like... If, it's, if they just need a fill-in for something, they call those four, and <laughs> they keep call, going back to it.
2: And I think most recently in Dan Slott's Fantastic Four, they appeared among with all of the other former members yes. of the Fantastic Four That's right. in uh, issue number two or something. Yeah,
0: including the Hulk, and uh, which was interesting because at that point, the Hulk was keeping a low profile because everybody thought he was dead.
2: Thought Banner was dead. Banner, yes. Yeah, yeah. The new... Okay, yeah, let's see here. I really enjoyed Simonson's take on Doom. Unfortunately, it was never really followed up on as far as I know.
0: What's the take on Doom? Um... The I believe that would be referencing the fact that Kristoff was ruling Latveria, and then you have Doom sort of coming back and taking over again. Okay, so that is yeah. played out through Defalco's run. Yes, but it, um, if you're reading early Defalco, it's not really addressed. It comes more into play around ish, almost issue 400.
2: Yeah, right. Uh, we'll get Just to those. That. We'll get to those issues eventually. The time travel battle was confusing and awesome at the same time. (laughs) DeFalco's Alicia story was very interesting, and it showed some potential of secret invasion a good decade before Bendis did it. Totally. Yeah. And Joe says, along with X-Men number one, this is the first best example of 90s comics. Oh, totally. (laughs) Does that mean that X-Force number one is the worst example? <laughs> I would say that that's the best example of 90s comics. Pouches and guns <laughs> and all that, right? Pouches and guns.
0: <laughs> big big guns that uh, don't make any physical sense. Yeah. And pouches on pouches.
2: People always reference the one Fantastic Four issue where they get pouches and guns. And it's like... The Hulkbusters hon- issue. Yeah. And yeah. they have it on the cover. It's yeah. a foil cover. Also very 90s. Very 90s. And people think that that was Fantastic Four in the 90s, but that was only oh, one no. issue.
0: Yeah. Mr. Fantastic occasionally wore that pouch vest for a while, uh, but but they mostly just didn't... They only had those guns for the one. For the one
2: story, because they needed it
0: for some specific reason that I don't remember now.
2: Okay, that does it for our listener comments. Let's get into the issues here. Uh, Our first issue is not the beginning of the DeFalco run. There is one fill-in issue between Simonson and Defalco. This is issue number three hundred fifty-five. It's called Rage, and it's uh, written by Danny Fingeroth and drawn, illustrated by Al Milgram. In this one, the the Wrecker tries to kill Thunderball um, out of revenge for taking over the Wrecking Crew. Thunderball is being hidden in a uh, like a safe house, which happens to be on Yancey Street, mm-hmm. and the Wrecker finds this out and starts wrecking things as he does Uh, and coincidentally ben Grimm happens to be visiting yancey street at that time and is able to uh, help out in this situation
0: i find it weird that the police put a safe house in the middle of gang territory (laughs) well you know uh keep your enemies closer
2: yeah or who's gonna look for uh yeah this i i thought this was a fantastic issue I'm going to use fantastic and yeah. <laughs> like the pun will be intended and implied every yeah. single time. But it was just really great. What I love it when people
0: do these character pieces on yeah. Ben Grimm. Cause... It's it's kind of your typical Ben loses hope and mopes around before finding his bright spot again yep. uh, issue. And, you know, he sort of stumbles upon this attempt on Thunderball's life. Because he's just wandering Yancey Street, reminiscing about the good old days when he was young. Yeah. Yeah, he stops in on his own old apartment
2: when he used to live on Yancey Street. And there's a family in there that recognizes him. Yeah. And so they invite him in. And then the building starts shaking because the wrecker's wrecking it. And it's just, uh, it's really, really neat to get a little bit of backstory about Ben's life. Um, I had forgotten about this issue completely um, because I know I've read it. Way way long ago. Yeah, me too. But I forgot that Ben had a has a brother, Dan.
0: Yeah, yeah. They, they don't talk about him much.
2: And I don't know if this is his first mention or if they mention him before. But uh, he is a he is a and is it an older brother? I can't remember.
0: Uh, yes, because he was there first, and then he was the leader oh. of the gang, and, and yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So he was an older brother. He was the leader of the Yancey Street Gang, and uh, and this there's just so much history that we don't we don't know about because ben is a very guarded person he doesn't let out his emotions and he masks his emotions often with jokes a lot of the time yeah jokes or just his anger is often a show and we'll see that come up in a little while as well and so just to get these little glimpses of his of his personality coming through is really really neat the the address is 7135 yancey street this is that's the building does it say what apartment number he's in no, it, it, no, it's not written on the door. Okay, because I know that he and Alicia in Dan Slott's um, current story they move into apartment number four, of course, because it's the Fantastic Four.
0: But I don't know if that's his actual. Of course, his whole building is demolished. So. Right, and and even um, in Dan Slott's run, they had just rebuilt that um, that that uh, block. Okay. Because the Wrecker wrecked it in the 90s. <laughs> Took no. him a long time. A lot of red tape to um, Well, Ben had found out that he's actually like quite rich and bought up that block so that the Fantastic Four could live there. Ah, uh, nice. Yeah. Um, this filler story references actually like lots of other titles that you need to read to get the full story. And I think part of that is just because the Wrecker is one of those villains who is often associated with the Fantastic Four, but isn't really a Fantastic Four villain. Right. Well, he's, he's got Asgardian powers. Right. He's a he's a Thor villain, but yeah. he he often fights the Fantastic Four.
2: Yeah. Well, the Wrecking Crew kind of is just one of those villain It's just a, one of those villain groups that writers will throw in there if they just
0: need kind of a powerhouse. Right. And so, uh, um, like you said earlier, um, this story goes back to some Avengers stories, some Thor stories.
2: Yeah. It had an unexpected ending. Yeah. I. It's actually kind of kind of sad. Because the kid in the family that is living in Ben's old apartment, he gets crushed by the, the building and he dies. And I was really not expecting that to happen.
0: It's kind of a downer, um, especially because Ben is already down on himself. But that actually gives him the motivation to, um, to get back on, into the heroing business. Right. So I don't know when exactly this story was written
2: because it's, a, it's an inventory story. So mm-hmm. it could have been sitting in their filing cabinets for a while. And I also don't know if the artwork was already done, mm-hmm. if Al Milgram... Because Al Milgram is one of the guys that just, like, he drew a lot. And he might have already done this as just because he needed the cash. So he did the story and they filed it away. But it only works after Simonson's run because Thing is his normal rocky self. He's not all bumpy and spiky. They couldn't have put this, unless they framed it as a
0: flashback... right story they couldn't have put this story before yeah but it also is weird placed here because there's no reason for ben to be all down on himself like he right he's back to normal Um, relatively speaking yeah yes he's thing again but he chose to do it this time sharon's back to normal yeah and they all just like got rid of the tva and they've defeated dr Doom. life should be good for a little while right now but he's kind of mopey so So it seems out of place it does but it's still a good story it's very good story a uh, couple little uh, goofs in this one. On page 271, well, first of all, there's a really cool picture of the Fantastic Four standing, and they're facing different directions, and that's just not something, like, normal to do. Yeah. But in the very last panel here, the balloons are kind of in a weird order to read. Okay. Right, because yeah. there's two stacked and yeah. one to the side. Yeah, and, and so do you start at the bottom and go up and then over? Or do you start at the top and go over and then down? Or do you go start at the top and go down and then over? R- right. Right, it could be yeah. any one of those. So what's, what's the order? I think it's you start at the top and go down and then over. Because he talks about the building's been fixed up. Um, oh, I'm ugly. The home gets a facelift. And then what did I think I would find?
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's probably right. Yeah. yeah. But it is... It's, it's awkward. It is awkward. Um and there's so much black space in the bottom corner, they could have had one panel in the top left, one panel in the top right, and then another panel over some of the black space that's the building down below. And that would have created a better flow of the of the balloons.
0: Right. Um one other little goof, and this is just a, a spacing issue, I think, <laughs> is uh at the very end of the book uh of this issue, uh Ben picks up a piece of wall that has some graffiti on it that he recognizes. Right. That says Yancey Street Gang Forever." That he that his brother wrote. that his brother re- wrote. Yes, yeah. and that's fairly significant to him right at the very end. But that graffiti doesn't the the layout of the graffiti doesn't match the layout of the graffiti on page two seventy three <laughs> where we actually see a flashback. Right.
2: Well, that one the way I would uh, get, get my no price for that one is that the 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 first instance on page. 273 is Ben's memory and he's not remembering right. it correctly. Yes.
0: <laughs> or maybe his brother wrote it in multiple places. Oh,
2: yeah, that's true.
0: Yep. <laughs> Great. No prizes for both of us. Yay. Uh,
2: Have we, we should... ever
0: talked about no prizes on here?
2: Oh, I've mentioned them in okay. past uh, in past episodes and stuff. Right. If you don't know what a no prize is, then you need to tell us what a no prize is. Then we'll give you a no prize. Right. <laughs> okay. Shall we
0: move on to number 356? Yes. Why don't you go for it? All right. Fantastic Four, 356. War with the New Warriors. We have The Thing busting into Reed's lab because one of his little sculptures has been damaged, one that Alicia made of him. Um, He blames the Human Torch, and they get into a big fight, and The Thing storms off. Cut to The Puppet Master believes that maybe somebody is controlling or somehow altering Alicia because she doesn't seem quite right. Hmm. Cut (laughs) to the new warriors having a practice. And Puppet Master takes control of Marvel Boy, Boy, also known as Vance Vance Astro, Astro. also known as Justice, but not right now. Marvel Boy... Also known as... What's he known as in the future in Guardians? uh, Well, Vance Astro Vic would be his name and Vance Astro was his name in the future. Oh, okay. Yeah. Marvel Boy bursts into Johnny Alicia's house, kidnaps Alicia, and Human Torch takes off after them and then ends up fighting New Warriors. Yeah. This
2: is the very first issue of the Tom DeFalco Paul Ryan run. And I think maybe right off the bat, I should. I want to play a little clip of Tom DeFalco talking about Paul Ryan. Because Paul Ryan passed away a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I don't actually really know much about him at all. Um, I've never heard an interview. I couldn't tell you what he looks like. Yeah. But he's just this kind of a constant force through this era of the Fantastic Four. So, yeah, so listen to this clip and we'll just talk a little bit about Paul.
1: Paul was an absolute professional. He sat down every day at the same time every day, did his work and you know produced i think two pages of pencils every day and would not get up from the drawing board until they were done he would call me up every once in a while and and as we're talking i could hear his pencil going across the page (laughs) (laughs) because he never stopped working wow if you're familiar with the ff you know our our ff forum we did some really crazy things yes um, coming up with all sorts of ridiculous nonsense. And, you know, I, I describe outrageous scenes. And Paul would just sit there and draw it and, and drew it in, in such a crystal clear kind of storytelling that y- you could just follow from panel to panel without ever getting lost. And uh, each panel had such detail, you, could, you felt you were, you were living in those panels.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I've I've always felt that creative people, when they're doing their jobs well, are invisible, and all you see are the characters, and all you care about are the characters. And and Paul is one of those guys that you know could just drag you into the story, and you forgot that you were looking at artwork or reading lousy dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> you just got caught up in the story.
2: Right. Okay. So one of the the things that I noticed in this is that Alicia says, and, and this is of course. Tom DeFalco just kind of making up things as he's going because this is his story now and he's got to make the pieces fit. Alicia hasn't worked on actual lifelike sculptures in a long time. She's into abstract art. Right. And of course, if you know the the future, you know why she's no longer doing this kind of art. The lifelike sculptures. Yeah, yeah because she can't because of things that'll happen, be revealed in the next issue. Uh, which you, if you're reading these one at a time with along with us for the first time, I guess we'll try hard not to (laughs) spoil the end. Um, But uh, that's an important thing to know, that she is now moved into a different form of art. So the the sculpture that's been been destroyed, the sculpture of Ben, um, Alicia says that she is not confident enough with herself anymore to fix it properly. Because she's out of practice. Because she's out of practice.
0: So this is Paul Ryan's first issue. And I love his interpretation of Reed. He shows Reed using his powers... At every opportunity. Um, Most people just have him like standing around and then stretching when he needs to. But here he's always stretching. Uh, Even if it's just to like put his arm around Sue or something, he'll wrap his arm around Sue a couple of times. Or, um, you know, he'll be on one side of his lab and reach across the other side of the the lab and and hug Sue or something like that. And always stretching appropriately. I I can't remember
2: where I read this or who told me. But Reed Richards, the way
0: Reed stretches is different than the way Plastic Man stretches. Totally. Now, and and that's what I was going to bring up as well, is often people will uh, portray Reed stretching like Plastic Man, uh, where it's sort of rubbery, like the giant hammer with a floppy arm kind of thing. But that's not how he uses his powers. Yeah. There's a mobile game, a Marvel mobile game, that has Reed as a new character, and that's basically how he works. Like, giant hand slap and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But you never see that with um, Paul Ryan's art. It's always very, or almost always very angular, but always utilitarian. And never comedy. No. Uh, he would, he'll would
2: he never, you'll never see him, like, m- make a big nose, like, stretch his nose so that he well, looks funny. Like he...
0: occasionally, but it's, it's appropriate. So he does it sometimes when he's playing with Franklin.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. For a little reason there. Right. Um, that's right. He'll make a face or something. But, and there's, there's, there's one going back to that thing that I can't remember who said, but Jack mm-hmm. Kirby would never draw Reed with a stretched neck because that would be comedy to have your It would look funny to have a stretched neck with the head kind of floating right. around. But, so you but Paul never Ryan see that. does it well. Paul Ryan doesn't stretch the neck either. He will stretch the torso. He stretches the, the extremities but he doesn't stretch the neck. Mm. Not in this issue. Not, I, not in this, this You'll have to point that out for me if you yeah. see it come up in the future because I, I, I'm pretty sure he, he doesn't. D- I
0: believe he has, but I, I couldn't uh, tell you exactly when. Yeah. I know Reed has stretched his neck. Uh, yeah. Well, not, yes. not every artist follows no, that rule. Right. Yes. And, but you
2: you break the, the barrier between comedy and yeah. drama but, when you stretch the neck. But, it just but looks a, funny.
0: But again, there has to be a good reason for it. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, One of the other things I really like about Paul Ryan's art, especially in these early days, is he doesn't often draw Sue's force fields unless he needs to. So if you look at page 295 in this issue, the thing goes to punch the human torch and he's met with a wall and other artists would draw the shield yeah. around the thing. Yeah, the dotted line. The dotted right. line or even a solid line. Yeah. Or the colorist might like shade it kind of bluish or something like that. But here we just see his fist meeting a wall with a little bit of a starburst yeah, and nothing else. Yeah, that's true. Which I think really lends to the invisibility of it. There is one mention
2: of Sharon in this issue. Did you catch it? No, I don't think I did. Because she's just all of a sudden gone. Yeah. She was in the very last issue of Simonson's uh, Simonson's run. And she gets cured. I think it's down here. What what does Reed say here?
0: After years of being trapped within the body of a monster, he finally thinks he's cured only to revert back to the thing. Then he experiences a series of temporary mutations and his girlfriend Sharon unexpectedly deserts him.
2: Yeah, we don't see that happen. She's there. They travel back to the present day at the very last issue of Simonson's Run and then she's just gone. And so DeFalco just wrote her right out of the story. Like no goodbye or
0: anything. Which is kind of a shame, but also was kind of necessary for the setup for the rest of the story. Was it, though? Why couldn't Sharon be a part of this? Oh, because, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but they could, of course. It makes it even, (laughs) well, it makes it even more complicated. Yeah. And I mean, we can talk about that more when we get to the next issue, but.
2: Right, but they could have at least had a goodbye or like Ben referencing it. I guess that's why he's in a bad mood right now. Right. Yeah. One question I have about the Puppet Master, and let me know if this is true or not. In this one, Puppet Master makes a model of a robot and controls the robot. Hmm. Is that something that he can actually do? Because I thought that he took control of the minds of people.
0: Usually that's how his powers are portrayed. However, this is like magical radioactive clay. So (laughs) maybe it just is able to control whatever form he creates.
2: So if he like made... A chair? He could make the chair move?
0: Because it's just you'll a have, robot. A robot is an inanimate object. You'll have to ask Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because he does the sorcerer stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, it's really interesting going back and rereading this issue, knowing what's coming up. Because if you're reading this the first time, uh, Puppet Master's saying, uh, oh, you know, she seems different. And you think like he does, it's just some sort of personality shift. But really, it's, it's much more than that. One other thing I thought was interesting is this is the first appearance of the Fantastic Car Mark II in about a year and a half oh, Okay. Um, since the uh, Fantastic Four annual 23. And if you don't count that one, if you're just looking at the actual series, it's almost been two years since they used the Fantastic Car because through that two years, through the Walt Simonson run, uh, they, were hopping they, through were, time. they were using mostly the Time Sled yeah, as right. their transportation.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's just another thing that brings it back to the 60s because the Fantastic Four is very distinctly... I mean, this isn't the same design, but it's a Kirby thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't really see much point in the the new warriors being in this issue.
0: No, except that they're they're the new group and you got to, you know, promote them somehow.
2: Yeah. What aren't they called, like, the heroes for the 90s? Is that what's on the cover of their comic book? Uh, oh,
0: maybe. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that's something like that. and And, yeah, I mean, they're... They're there to sell the comics because I think New Warriors was doing pretty good at this time. And Fantastic Four was not doing good at this time, as Tom DeFalco said in that other clip. So if <laughs> it's kind of funny to, to think that the New Warriors had to go into the Fantastic Four in order to sell some issues. Right, the, the, <laughs>
0: the, the world's greatest comic
2: magazine. Yeah, but that was the reality of the situation at the time. Uh, okay, shall we move on to the next one? Sure. Okay, the next issue is called The Monster Among Us. This is uh, oh man. I love this issue. Puppet Master goes to Ben with news about Alicia. The things that he suspects about Alicia, and then Reed comes to the same conclusions. Because it, so, I guess in the previous issue, um, Puppet Master was so insistent on Alicia's behavior, he decided to get brain do brain scans of everybody.
0: Partly because of that, but also just to try and uh, make sure nobody else is being controlled and that kind of stuff.
2: Right. So he scans everybody's brains, and Alicia's very hesitant at first, but eventually gives into it, and he comes to these same conclusions that Ben does, but can't say... I uh, can't say what the conclusion is in time because Ben busts in there and's like Get away from everybody and like I don't I never loved you, Alicia and like all this kind of stuff and like what the heck is going on and Puppet Master's there and they think the Puppet Master's controlling Ben and all of the stuff is going on. It's a yeah. it's a it's a great, great issue. I, I love this. Yeah. And there's just so much tension and then at the very end, the big reveal that we find out that uh, that Alicia Masters is actually a scroll. Very, very cool. What? Yeah. Oh yeah, I knew that. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And so when I when we read this
0: for the first time, it's like mind blown. Well, the interesting thing is that we didn't read this issue first. We read the next issue first. So we right. didn't even get this lead up to the reveal. We opened the first page and it's like boom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that was a time when we
2: didn't even know anything about the Fantastic Four. But... Well,
0: and you know, we knew a little bit. Uh, we know kind of who they were, and, you know, like I said, anybody who knows anything about the Fantastic Four knows Ben and Alicia. Yeah. But that's about it. Yeah, yeah.
2: So the, it was just... It's just great. It's just great. There's a more reference to her abstract art in this one, and uh Johnny also... um He's been going through some stuff in the last little while, too. With, right, with, with Nebula. Yep, with yeah. the Nebula stuff and the Walt Simonson thing. And there's one scene in here where he is showing off for a group of girls outside of his apartment while he waits for Alicia, Alicia to come down. Which
0: is very reminiscent um, of a scene from uh, the Amazing Spider-Man issue with the Fantastic Four. Right. Yeah, where... where he's showing off at a party and yeah. uh, Spider-Man does the webbing bat yeah, but I bring this one up because Johnny just
2: seems like he is not happy in his marriage anyway, and he's like trying to get the attention of other girls where he shouldn't really be showing off like that. Yeah, I that mean, sense.
0: we we see we come into the scene sort of in the middle, and I kind of imagine it would be like these beautiful young women come up to him and recognize him and ask him to do something, and he um, entertains them by doing that. Which reminds him of his single days. Yeah, he even in this this panel near the bottom of page 320, the girl says, is
2: that your girlfriend? And then he says, wife. And then she says, too bad. I was looking forward to your next move. And he says, yeah, me too. And then he walks off with Alicia, but looks back. It's that meme. Just like that meme. It's the meme. (laughs) Meme in comic form. Yeah. Uh, And... And that just shows that I think he is... He's just looking for something else or something like that. He's not really... He's beginning to not stay faithful to his wife. Um, Which is... It's interesting also because he fights really hard for her in the previous issue with the New Warriors. Yeah. And he goes... Fights really hard against Ben when Ben
0: comes busting in there and tries to stop things. And I don't know that it's that he's, like, thinking of leaving his marriage or that he's really unhappy... But just, it's a time where he's questioning life choices. There was this thing with Nebula that's caused him to doubt himself. Yeah. Uh, like that scene is followed up with a really great scene with Sue where True. he talks about, yeah. well, how do you guys do it? How do you actually like stay it, so in love with each other in your marriage? You've been married for such a long time, et cetera. Yeah. And that's a really great scene.
2: It is. And I like how he opens up to sister and they have just a Yeah. It's just a really well-written, written dialogue. Uh, There's some coloring issues in this issue. Yep. Uh, Alicia's hair is not consistent. Yeah. The beginning is brown. Halfway through, it's it's orange. And I think maybe in the next issue, it's yellow. Oh, no. no, no, It's this this issue. Yeah. It's yellow on page 322. These are mistakes in the actual issue. And the, the Epic Collection actually kept the colors consistent.
0: So that would be Bill Oakley and Sheil and company. Which means that there were a lot of people coloring these pages. So So they may not have known if it was Sue or somebody else or
2: whatever. (laughs) I think that sometimes the colorist did think it was Sue because Alicia's hair is very Sue. Sue, It looks like Sue. Similar style at this point. And so, yeah, if you have different people coloring the pages, they're not checking in with each other. So that accounts for the inconsistencies. But if you ever wondered if the Epic Collection corrected mistakes, they don't. They keep
0: everything the same as it was originally published. At the beginning of this issue, when Reed is scanning everybody's brain, Alicia's very insistent that she doesn't want to do it. And she's like, oh, you know, what if there's like some sort of weird side effect from scanning my brain? And Reed's like, no, I've taken care of all that. You're safe. And again, going back and rereading this, it's very interesting. In the previous issue, Puppet Master comes up to Alicia on the docks and starts talking to her and she doesn't recognize who he is. Yeah. And then he goes, oh, of course, it's so obvious. Why didn't I see it before? And she goes, what do you mean? Who are you? And then Reed shouts, leave her alone, Puppet Master. And she goes, Puppet Master, oh no. Yeah, she let it slip. Yeah. And so she's realized that she's messed up. And so now that they're doing the brain scans, she's realizing that this might be the beginning of the end. Wow. And so let me play a clip
2: of both Ralph and Tom, one after the other, talking about this particular storyline.
4: At one point, um, when Johnny, and now wasn't it initially that he was getting married to Alicia? Was that what had happened?
2: He got married to Alicia in issue 300, just before Steve Englehart.
4: Right. Now here's what, what my thinking was, and Tom was with me on that. You know, Reed, uh, um, Johnny and Ben were really good friends. And I don't remember exactly how the wedding came about, but I know that it always was one of those things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, that Johnny would actually marry a woman that was so close to his partner, Ben, that no matter how rationalized the circumstances could be, there just was something about it that just didn't fly for me. That, you know, yeah, you know, Ben couldn't have many women being the thing... And here was the one woman, you know, who really was devoted to him. And I just didn't like the way that dynamic was, was shaken up. Um, it, it just didn't put Johnny in, in a positive light for me. So Tom and I had talked it over, and I said, you know, let's see if we can find a solution to this, you know, that, that wouldn't or would put Johnny in a more positive light. And so, you know, I think it was probably Tom who came up with the idea of, are actually being a straw, using this opportunity to infiltrate the Fantastic Four, and actually using certain techniques and tactics to have sort of coerced Johnny or hypnotized him or whatever to get him into that marriage, so that it was less his actual decision. And that put it more in a positive light, and also Mm -hmm. was a kind of shocking thing for the readers, too. Now, again, whenever you do something like that, Readers who were happy with the marriage and all would be shocked and stunned and probably dissatisfied, but, but other people reacted positively to it and said, yeah, you know, I never quite bought that, that idea either, the way Johnny married Alicia. So um, that was a radical rewriting, but we tried, of course, to make it fit within continuity to give a logical, make it a logical outgrowth of the marriage, um, that she wasn't really Alicia and all, and um, I would, again. I was happy with it. If I had to go back and do it again, I would do it again because I never quite liked that idea that Johnny would marry um, Christa, uh, would
1: marry Alicia. Right. Well, that, that decision goes back, you know, a couple of years previous. Um, one time, I, I think it was at Ralph Macchio's house uh, by a swimming pool, and uh, he and Mark Rounwald were talking about Johnny's marriage to Alicia. And they were coming out, trying to come out with ways to negate it in some way, shape, or form. And I've always had the attitude that you move forward. You, you, don't, you don't try to correct the mistakes of the past because there are always mistakes. There are always some, some bad stories, some continuity errors, that sort of stuff. So you, so it's our job to go forward and make new mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and forget about the old mistakes. Yeah, Just keep moving forward. And they were talking about things, and and one of them said, Oh, we could always say that Alicia was a scroll."
3: Yeah.
1: And for some reason, that that always stuck in the back of my mind. And I never intended to be writing the Fantastic Four, <laughs> but that that idea stuck in the back of my mind, and I thought, "What a goofy idea that is!" What you know? And I said, "You know, guys, come on, let's let's either concentrate on on enjoying this beautiful summer day, or." or let's create new stories and forget about the old stories flash forward a number of years and I don't know how many years passed between that conversation and uh, me taking over the FF and I thought you know, uh, when the time came to plot the first issue I thought what ideas do I have for the Fantastic Four and that scroll idea came back and I uh, thought gee I wonder if that could work and I thought through it and I went back and I checked things and I thought yeah you know this could actually work (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I went to Ralph and I proposed the thing, and he goes, "That's a terrific idea. Where'd you get it from?" And I said, "You." <laughs> <laughs> and I re- I reminded him of the conversation that he and Mark had, had. and um, you know he didn't remember the conversation, but you know, lucky, luckily, or, or or unluckily, I did, and I you know explained how it all tied up and everything, and you know, he said, "Let's go with it. It's it's something no yeah, no one's going to." Uh, You know, no one's going to expect this.
2: So I went back to the previous issues, all the way back to issue number 300, because I wanted to see if there was any reference to Alicia's uh, Art. art, to her art, to her abstract art through this time since she got married to Johnny. And as far as I can tell, there's not. No. Alicia plays a very, very minimal role in Engelhart and in Simonson's Fantastic Four. And when they do show her, she's not doing any sort of sculpture work at all. So it it, works out. it actually does work out. And I don't know if they checked that ahead of time or if they just had written this in, but it actually does work out kind of funny that hmm. way.
0: Speaking of issue 300, in this issue, we have the now classic team up of uh, Puppet Master and the Mad Thinker. Yeah. And the ma- uh, they also teamed up in issue 300. Uh, they've teamed up about eight times by this point, starting in Fantastic Four 28 and including uh, Fantastic Four 300. Oh, wow, way the, back then. Yeah, so Fantastic Four 300 would be like the last one before this point.
2: I love how they don't trust each other and they play off of each other. And Hobbit oh, yeah. Master's like, oh, the Mad Thinker walked right into my trick. To get, I wanted information. He gave it to me. And the Mad Thinker's like, oh, he thought I was giving him information, but I really didn't do that. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to, uh,
0: what he's going to do is going to lead to the destruction of the Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah. It is great. Yeah, um, but one thing that's that's really odd that might not make a lot of sense is how the mad thinker gets out of his cell uh, to do his work, and the mad thinker has this ability um, through a lot of concentration to project his consciousness into like sort of a clone body that he has.
2: Oh, okay, okay. So that's when you see the, 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 the jail cell... cell fade away
0: kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So he's got like his backup body in his lab and he, through concentration, projects his mind into it and then can control it over there. So he technically hasn't left the jail cell and he just, the guards all just think he's like deep in thought, but he's actually like out and doing things. Right. I thought it was really interesting that uh, there's a lot of product placement or there's one panel of a lot of product placement in this issue page 323 uh we see ben making a sandwich and he's got some name brand products there we've got a one sauce and french's and hellman's mayonnaise Vlasic pickles pepsi wonder bread oh yeah weird <laughs> it's all just sort of popped in there in the art oftentimes
2: artists will like change the name so instead of wonder bread it's like blunder bread right exactly like that. <laughs> but they didn't do that here <laughs> no it's just the actual yeah. thing
0: But uh, this this issue is just written and drawn so well to hide its um, actual conclusion, but all the hints are there. Yep. Yeah. I don't know if this was intentional or not, but you could even maybe make some claims that there are ties back to the beginning of this volume with the new Fantastic Four. What do you mean? Because... When they're doing, when when they're on Monster Island and the Skrulls are using their little doohickey to find the Skrull signatures, they say, Oh, there's one here and there's one in New York. Oh. Wait, wait. No, no, but that would have been Nebula, right? Wouldn't it? No, Nebula was the one that was here on Monster Island. Oh, okay. Hold on. Let me just.
2: Yeah, check check that that out.
0: out. So at the end of uh, issue 348. Um, he goes, curious, I'm getting a double reading and one of them is coming from very near our current location. So the very near the current location is the nebula, but there's another reading on there. But couldn't it be the cows from Fantastic Four number two? Uh, maybe. Because they haven't been by, eaten but, yet at, the, at this point. I, I, maybe they haven't. I don't know. No, because they get eaten in the, the skull, skull cr- cr- kill, kill crew. crew. Right. Which is a few years down the road here. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so maybe, maybe that is the case. But um, it also could but, be, uh, you know, and and maybe it's planted. actually the um the they don't say where that other uh loca- that other signal is coming from, so maybe it's the uh scroll egg device thingy. But because they don't say, maybe it happens to be Alicia <laughs> yeah. who's tied up at the Four Freedoms Plaza.
2: Right, right. That's funny. Well, moving on to issue number three fifty-eight. Whatever happened to Alicia? Yeah. Holy cow. So this is a triple size issue. Yeah. There's a lot of bonus stuff in here, which we'll get to. Yeah. But the main story, I think, is just regular size, or maybe it's double size. Um, it must be double size, because okay. there's so much that happens. Yep. Um, not only do they find out the truth about Alicia, but they build a ship... They, tr- they blast off and go to the Skrull homeworld, infiltrate, infiltrate the Skrull homeworld in order to find Alicia. They find Alicia, save her, have a big fight. There's a huge war, and then they leave. Like, it's just, it's packed with It's jam-packed. With stuff. And, it's, and it's interesting the whole way through. It's exciting. It's like, it's such a well-written issue. And I, like, people, you got to read Tom DeFalco. Oh, yeah, this is good. <laughs> and so let's deal with the story before we jump into the backup here. Um, Alicia is revealed to be actually a scroll. Her name is Lijah. And Lija I I love this this thing, is like they the way that Tom sort of retrofits her story in there is like she was originally sent to destroy to the, to infiltrate the Fantastic Four by mm-hmm. being Ben's girlfriend, but then Ben disappears so she had to improvise. Yeah. And and she fell in love with Johnny. And then she realized that she actually did fall
0: in love with Johnny for real. Yeah and and as a as a retcon, it's sort of played now as this was like an early test run of the secret invasion yeah um they're taking somebody to actually and and actually making the 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 scroll blind in human form as a way of replicating um like how they actually are, and then they get into like powers and stuff after that.
2: I just thought the the idea of an alien disguise and living amongst us was just so fascinating, yeah. And they had no clue, nobody had any clue. she was very good at her job
0: and uh and and if it wasn't for the puppet master, they would have kept on on going like even right. even her art agent who was saying, "Oh, why don't you go back to the sculptures and she goes, "Oh well this, that's not what I do anymore. I've moved past that and he's like, "Oh, well, the other stuff sells better, oh, but I'm not doing that. that's not who I am anymore and he sort of accepts that,
2: yeah, and everybody's reaction is very different, of course, yes. Johnny is extremely angry. And Reed he,
0: he's angry for being deceived. Ben is angry that Alicia's not there. Yes. And then
2: Reed is upset with himself for not realizing for not it. realizing this the whole time like he yeah. should have seen things. He's always calculating about all right. of these possibilities yeah. and outcomes and and, um, and and making plans for any sort of things that could possibly happen.
0: But at the same time, he's also very calm and rational. He doesn't want to to outburst because, well, now this leads to a whole bunch of other questions and we need answers. Yeah.
2: So they travel to the Skrull homeworld and we meet a new character. His name is Paybok the Power Skrull. And he is... I guess the, the Super Skrull is kind of out of commission at this point. Otherwise, I think Super will, Skrull would have been... not out of commission, but decommissioned. He's been decommissioned. <laughs> so I figure that uh, they would have used him, except he's taken himself out of the picture. Totally. And, and they all travel, all five of them travel to the Skrull homeworld in order to find Alicia. And they do find her. And I don't know, like, there's a little detail. Alicia's hair is short when they pick her up. Right. And it's short because that's how short it was when she was captured in issue number 300. But, of course, her hair has been growing longer. And the way Walt Simonson drew her and the way that Paul Ryan has been drawing her with shoulder-length hair, like, that's, uh, that's to, to help us understand that this is a, a different Alicia now. Right. Like, however, if she was really
0: in stasis, her hair should have still been growing all this time. Depends right? on what kind of stasis. like. He, uh, Reed says cryogenics, and if they are cryogenically frozen, then body function should, like, be reduced to minimum, so it shouldn't have grown necessarily. But it doesn't look like cryogenics. It doesn't look like cryogenics. It looks like some sort of, like, uh, induced coma in a floating nutrient bath or something. Right. Yeah, because she's not frozen when Reed comes and gets her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another, uh, Another coloring goof. She's in a sort of greenish container wearing a green bathing suit, and then when Reed uh, takes her out, they forgot to color the bathing suit. Yeah, it looks like she's naked. Uh, And that's an original mistake too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was in the
2: original comics as well. Uh, We get a flashback origin story in this issue as well, which makes sense because it is the anniversary issue. And if you're going to buy it because it's an anniversary issue and you don't know anything about the fantastic four they're gonna put that information in there right in fact the origin story is told two times in this one issue right because <laughs> <laughs> they're they, they very later. good
0: they're very good at sneaking it in uh yeah. to the main story
2: and we had one recently as well i think in walt simonson run or uh something as in well. the annual in the annual right yeah. right right so in this one book we get an origin story three times <laughs> yeah
0: There are two things that I really love about Tom DeFalco's writing in this issue. One of them is uh, things banter. Yeah. (laughs) and Tom's a
2: really funny guy. Oh, yeah.
0: And the other thing is how he deals with Johnny through this issue after realizing that Alicia is not Alicia. He goes through many stages of grief. Um, We see uh, denial. We see anger. We see depression. And we actually even see acceptance at the very end.
2: Yeah, this is just so great. This is great stuff.
0: Yeah. One other thing that I think could potentially be linked to this story from uh, from the earlier issues is in issue 350, I believe, when uh, Doom is trying to catch up on all the things that he's missed while he was away. He goes, It cannot be. Johnny Storm married to Grimm's former woman, Alicia Masters. Preposterous. And Grimm, with his ferocious temper, failed to kill young Storm? Impossible. Psychologically impossible. And if it is impossible, we must suppose that the cause is elsewhere. <laughs> but that need not concern us now. Oh, yeah, not now. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. But, but that wasn't uh, DeFalco. So that probably wasn't in the plans. But it's interesting that uh, there could be that connection That's there. right. That's right. In
2: the end, the Mad Thinker's plan is that uh, once they get into outer space all of
0: the shielding on their spaceship comes off and they're stranded and floating in outer space. And that's where we leave to be picked up in the next issue. Um, On page 378, the first panel, we see Alicia hugging Ben and Johnny standing beside and the expressions on the three of their faces tell us everything we need to know about this relationship right now
2: yeah that was great because of course alicia doesn't know what's going on so if she's captured in an alien homeworld, of course the first person she's going to jump to is ben
0: because she thinks they're still in a relationship yeah
2: and but they've now but johnny and and ben have spent years with that not being the case and so it's a shock to
0: both of them yeah that that's her reaction. Yeah. And you see a little bit of Johnny's hand. He wants to reach out and comfort her, but he kind of knows that it's not his place. And Ben is shocked because he's he doesn't think that they're in a relationship. Yeah, you can and see she, his yeah. hand
2: is not on her shoulder. Right. Yeah. He, he hasn't fully embraced yet because he's just surprised and doesn't know if he should.
0: Yeah, and and Alicia's just totally at home.
2: Yeah, it's a great panel. It's a yeah. great scene. Uh, exactly how these characters yeah. would react in this situation.
0: One other thing I really like about Paul Ryan's art, and this sort of goes to him being a little more old school, um, is the presence of uh, motion lines and uh, like faded images uh, to show passage of time kind of thing. He does that on page 370 where Elijah is shifting uh, form. And another one, another one on page 364 at the bottom where Paybach is being bashed towards a wall and he like bounces off of it to fly forward yeah and that's something i really miss about comics now because a lot of the images don't have these motion lines and so you're not really sure what type of motion is being implied in the in the image it looks very static and still
2: like a movie still or right yeah
0: whereas this here when you have these motion lines it really gives the sense of um of the sequence of events and what, what is actually happening, it, it tells you more than just one still panel
2: yeah well, and a lot of that is because the passage of time even within one panel is so great. Um, yeah, because you have a lot of stuff a lot of old school writing is like there's so much impossibility that happens in one panel because a spider-man punches someone in, in the space of time that he punches someone, he also sp- says a paragraph right. <laughs> and and in the in the same panel you have the reaction of the guy saying ow which obviously happens after he's punched um but then there, and there's motion lines to show that he's falling backwards and there's right. motion lines to show that the, p- the punch is going forward it's all happening in one panel yeah even though it actually should be many panels to show yeah. the sequence of events right
0: but i also think that it has to do with an elevation of uh the status of comic book art yeah. as it becomes seen as like like, quote, legitimate art form and not just cartoons or whatever. That language, that comic language just disappears. Yeah, they want it to be more realistic in terms of, like, I don't know, just art.
2: Yeah. And a lot of that is also replaced with digital effects, like digital blurring or, you know, that kind of stuff. Superimposing, using gradients and layers uh, to, to to show faded characters or anything like that. It's definitely different, like, it's evolved in a different way. Um, I I love Paul Ryan's stuff.
0: It's just solid. Well, should we talk about the bonus features in this book? Sure. Uh, The first one comes with a short letter from Stan, and it's a couple of pages from the uh, first chapter of Fantastic Four number 1, an early draft. What's interesting is this is from 1961, and in it um, the reasoning for the flight into space is because... Um, America is anticipating that Russia is going to get to Mars. Like, Russia's beat um, America into space. Um, We haven't had the moon landing yet, but the people writing this are not anticipating the moon as being the destination, but Mars.
2: Yeah, interesting. Oh, yeah, 1969 was when Apollo 11 landed on the moon. Okay. So I want to note also that this kind of a plot, this is kind of what the Marvel method is. Stan would write out something like this. Oftentimes it was less. Oftentimes it was verbal only. <laughs> <laughs> and he would pass this information on to his artist. And the artist would plot out the entire 22 pages and draw it and hand it back to Stan. And then Stan would add the dialogue on top. But if you want to look at what typically I think what Stan would do is just a one one or two page synopsis of what you would find in the issue.
0: Yeah, and it's um it's not even any sort of dialogue based. It's nope, not really at all. just like it's literally a plot. Yeah, it's literally a plot. Also of interesting note, the original characters had some slight different quirks to their powers. Like uh, Sue originally wore a mask because she was always completely invisible. And she would have to take off all of her clothes to be invisible, like fully invisible. Like the invisible man. Like the invisible man. Although um, they were thinking maybe that it ends up being a little too racy if it's the idea that she's just wandering around naked all the time. Yeah. Um, Johnny originally couldn't throw fireballs, and there's some uh, comic code authority um, advice about uh, having a flaming person.
2: Yeah, if we actually look at the first many issues, um, it does take a while for Johnny to throw a fireball, I think. I can't remember.
0: Yeah, it says, uh, Comics Association told me he may never burn anyone with flame. He may only burn ropes, doors, etc. Never people. And he cannot use fireballs uh, like the old Human Torch could. The um, the, the android. Android, android.
2: Yeah, John Hammond.
0: Yeah. Um, and then his biggest asset is he can fly but he could only flame on for like 5 minutes at a time and then he would like gas out. Oh yeah, we saw that over and over in the <laughs> Strange Tales issues yeah. for sure. Oh no, I've been on fire for 5 minutes. I'm falling again. <laughs> oh no, I've run out
2: of web fluid. Oh no, my armor's battery is drained. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I've not I haven't been touching my hammer for more than 60 seconds. Right.
0: Yeah, so originally in this in this plot, Ben wasn't Reed's friend. They just hired him to be the pilot. And he wasn't going to do it until he saw Sue and fell in love with Sue. And the idea was, going forward, he was supposed to maybe not necessarily be a good guy. Oh, interesting. Um, But they wanted him to maybe um, possibly sabotage them later on or something just so that he could uh, be with Sue. But he didn't really, the idea was he didn't really like the team. He didn't want to be a part of it, uh, like with them. But you
2: know what? That's like, that's exactly what the Hulk was in when the Avengers formed. Right. I'm glad they made that change because um, it would just be another Avengers. It just be. Well, I mean, this came out first, so Avengers would just be another Fantastic Four. Right. But it it. I'm so happy they went with the close friend direction because that's
0: just something that's different. It's what makes the Fantastic Four the Fantastic Four because it just ties all those relationships. Yes, you've got the brother and the girlfriend but then you have this other guy who's just like hired the fourth wheel yeah that doesn't make sense and so to have him have a close relationship like the others really brings it together
2: If they were to have made him a bad guy, potentially, and then they had to boot him out eventually, because that story has to progress at some point, then it would be the main three, and then there would probably be just a A series of rotating people that come in to be the fourth person, and they would come in for a while, they'd go, they'd be bad, or they wouldn't work out or whatever, but... Which kind of happens anyway, like we've got Medusa, we had Power Man, and... Those are all um, intended, but we know that those are all intended to be temporary. Right, yes. It
0: just would have been a very
2: different feel for oh, the very, book. Very,
0: yeah. very true. Uh, so after the uh the script we have a couple of pinups. Mike Mignola. Yep, with uh blastar with, and Annihilus. Yep. And so they're a bunch of villains and they've got some um uh they've got some little captions there. Who's this one? Garney. Ron Garney. Yeah, the pin up of Ron, with Ron and Garney of Mo- Molecule Man. Uh Ramatut, which is really interesting because we see in this image kang and immortus who are different forms of ramatut but we also see dr doom for some reason you seriously don't know the t- connection what no dr
2: doom is said to be um a descendant of Immortus, and in fact it might even be that when he went in time in the future uh, okay actually Immortus mortis is an, a descendant of dr doom uh, okay because of the time slide in like Fantastic Four number four, whatever, Which which or makes
0: sense there, but um uh that would have been written out with DeFalco because he makes um he makes the connection rather to Reed's dad, Re- yeah. Nathaniel Richards. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. I'm surprised you didn't know that. No, I didn't. When does did that happen? It's like early in the in Jack Kirby and Stan Lee's run there. Oh, okay. There are a lot of those that I haven't read just because I ha- I, I don't have those issues. Oh, man. So we need to c- circle back yeah. and read some of those
2: early Fantastic Four issues
0: f- yeah. for the podcast coming up. Um, following that are some of my favorite pages. Uh, we get a double page uh, spread for each of the characters where they introduce themselves and talk about their abilities. And so remember when I was talking about the comedy
2: of... Reed Richards shapes. Yeah, he stretches himself into a bunch of funny shapes here just to to demonstrate a demonstrate point. his point. But you see, the comedy it looks like comedy. In a regular basis, just in a regular comic, you would never see Reed in the shape of a cube. It just wouldn't happen. Right. It's this is only for yeah. purposes of of this sort.
0: Occasionally, as a parachute, but only in emergency situations. Yeah. Going back again to, there needs to be a reason for it. Yeah, they wouldn't plan on him being the parachute. Yeah. Whereas Plastic Man, well, he's the hang glider all the time.
2: And his neck is a little stretched in some of these yeah. ones, like when he's tangled up on the rhino or kissing Sue in the cheek. Yeah. Neck is a little stretched, but yeah. I th- I feel like that's within reason, yeah. considering how the rest of his body is stretched as well. Right. It's not like
0: stretching around a corner. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it says that he can stretch to a distance of 1,500 feet or five football fields before he loses the ability to control the muscles. Wow, that's pretty far. Yeah. Invisible Woman, uh, this is one of the first times, I think, that we are told that she has the power to make invisible things visible. Okay, I wasn't aware of that, yeah. She doesn't use it often because, I mean, how often do they come across something that is (laughs) invisible? Right. But uh, You wouldn't know because it's invisible. Right, exactly. But there are occasions where she has done that. Okay. Not just in this page.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The uh, and the Ben and the Human Torch ones are just kind of
0: they just display powers that we already knew of them. Yeah. Not no surprises there. Then we get a um, a cross section diagram of the Four Freedoms Plaza with a lot of information about it.
2: I always love these.
0: Yeah. Um, this I believe is the first time it's been. Oh, maybe not the first time it's been done for the Four Freedoms Plaza. But most, oh, I think I think it is. Oh yeah. Most of the other ones are the Baxter Building. Right. And in fact, I think the Baxter Building is in this. Uh, it is in this book at the end of the uh, retrospective. There's a small version of that. Yeah. But uh, one of the interesting things is that it says that uh, in the blueprints here that the outside of the building is made out of carbon fiber. Oh. Yeah. Why? Very sturdy. Yeah. So it, so a plane crashes into it, it won't fall down. Right. Or if Reed's lab, like, uh, blows up. Blows up. Yeah. Well, actually, what it says is it's uh, woven from carbon aramid thread so that it's really thin but very resistant to damage. Okay. But I, th- that'd that be similar to, like, our carbon fiber now. Uh, we've got a retrospective by Peter Sanderson about the Fantastic Four. Peter Sanderson is,
2: uh, he he's written for Marvel, and, but he is a guy that has an immense knowledge of Marvel history. Like, he is just, like, an encyclopedia of Marvel. So, yeah, and he was the guy who put together the subterranean, the history of subterranean in the Avengers Annual that I talked about in um uh in the collection obsession story, uh, um, episode um he he's just really really good at making connections and knowing the histories of these characters and he's still around he's active yeah. on facebook nice
0: it's very well written um and i would highly recommend that people take a look at it yep uh and then we have a couple more pinups and these ones are marvel milestones major events in fantastic four's history first one obviously it's their origin. Here's where the origin comes up again. Drawn by Al Milgram. We've got Red Ghost and the Super Apes, which seems not like that much of a milestone, but we actually have The Watcher. Yeah, first appearance of The Watcher. Which is really important in Fantastic Four history. And that was drawn by John Byrne. Also by John Byrne, we have Galactus, The Coming of Galactus. Of course. How could you not? Yep. Then we have Ron Lim with the uh, Inhumans.
2: Yep. And of course, John Romita doing a classic wedding
0: uh, of uh, Reed and Sue with all of the Marvel heroes in the background. So great. One of my favorite parts about this is the backup story at the end. It's called uh, Stanley Presents A Tale of Doom, the official story. The official story. (laughs) And we are introduced to this character. uh, With uh, Arthur Adams on the art? Oh, yeah, right. Um, We're introduced to this character um, called The Editor, who is going through uh video footage security footage from the castle in latveria and he's erasing dialogue and putting in new dialogue to rewrite history and the interesting bit is this is in reference to fantastic four 350 uh specifically page 143 in this volume okay so in uh you can turn to page 143 and see the exact scene that he's rewriting Oh, really? Okay, I did not even notice that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. So, on 143, right in the middle, we have Doom standing and Christoph kneeling, and that's the scene that we actually see right on the first panel. So, what's different false, about right? the dialogue? So, he changes it from, uh, Christoph says, I feel like I'm waking up, sire. Is that you? Have you saved me from a nightmare? What was it you said? Because uh, he said um, Ouroboros, which was the key word to snap him out of his thing. Uh. Um, and he changes it from have you saved me from a nightmare to you have saved me from a nightmare. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> and so this, uh, this gentleman from the Bureau of ladverian Antiquities stumbles across. He's, he's cataloging the, the castle, uh, making note of uh, all the rooms and everything for history's sake. And he comes across this room that's not supposed to be there, which is where the editor is. And they have a conversation about what he's doing. And in the end, um, the editor leads him to an attitude adjustment center, <laughs> so yeah. that uh, so that he won't tell anybody that Doom is fixing history. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah, and one of the other neat parts about this is we see yet again a Doombot that thinks he's actually Doom. That's right. So he's <laughs> carrying so a funny cake. Scene. He's carrying a cake because this is the 30th anniversary issue. He's yeah. carrying a 30 cake and he trips and he falls and lands with the cake in his face. And he goes, curse you, Reed Richards. There is no hope for you now. <laughs> I love it. Yeah.
2: I see. I don't know if it's intentional, but are there there are parallels to Hitler here. Oh, yeah. With just the way he controls the narrative of his own his own country's history. And the, the re-education centers or whatever it was called. I just feel like they're trying to make some sort of Nazi analogy here. Um, and I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it just seems mm-hmm. like that.
0: Yeah. The last thing that we get here is the uh, two-page spread, which is on the inside front cover, but um, of all the the Fantastic Four allies versus the enemies. But... The inside front cover has the die cut in it, so there's a big hole taken out of it. So here we actually get to see the whole picture. Yeah,
2: it's kind of like the end papers of this issue. And you can see that the, uh, the scan, because this issue, this page has been shrunk slightly, you can see a black border around it. Mm-hmm. So the Zipatone on the Android and on Dragon Man creates an optical illusion where you it looks like kind of polka dots. <laughs> it's been poorly reproduced. And that happens more than often in these epic collections unfortunately
0: it's also on dr doom's cape yeah
2: anywhere where they're using the zipitone. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay wow that was a big issue <laughs> and we should move on because yeah. uh, we've been talking about this these six how many issues are we talking about here like seven or eight seven issues um, i think it's, and it's taking us a yeah. long time to get okay. through them so let's keep on going yep. here issue number 359 now do you say devos or devos how do you pronounce I'd, this guy? i think Devos. Devos.
0: Okay, let's go with that. Devos the Devastator. Um, so last time, since it was a while since we talked about this, last time we left the Fantastic Four, the shielding had come off their ship. Yep. They need to get home. Yep. Uh, also, the warp drive bus- is busted. Oh, yeah. So that's going to take them like millions <laughs> of years. So uh, they are encountered, uh, or they encountered this uh, guy named uh, Devos the Devastator who considers himself to be, an agent of galactic peace. Yeah. So this is Paul Ryan starting to build up his own uh, Fantastic Four rogues gallery. DeVos is a character we will see come up a few times in the the, uh, the Tom DeFalco-Paul Ryan run. <laughs> and sorry, then never I should, again. <laughs> right. Uh, sorry, I, sh- I shouldn't have said Paul Ryan. Uh, it's uh, Tom DeFalco. Well, and with, Paul Ryan. With Paul yeah. Ryan, yes. Both it's of it's both of them. Paybach, yeah. I think, is the first one. Yeah, payback will be the first one. Um, although, you know, like uh, you were saying, it may have intended... It may have been intended to be Super Scroll and so they just had to throw somebody else in. This, but he's still yeah. an original character. He is still an original character. By that's them. true, yes. Yeah. And he will also come back a few times.
2: Yeah. And then there's this guy and then the one in the next issue as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this guy, he kind of reminded me of like the
0: collector in a sense. Yeah. Um there are definitely parallels because well, the other one I was thinking of is Brainiac. Right. Because yeah. uh what he does is his uh, his task is to destroy any alien race that shows the potential to even evolve to be warlike. And by yep. doing that, he's preserving peace in the universe. Right. And when he does this, he always keeps one, um, one specimen of that species in stasis. Right. Which is what Brainiac does when he destroys a planet. He keeps one city shrunken down in a, in a bottle. And then the
2: collector just keeps specimens. Right. Yeah. So, and he has this big ship full of specimens. And at one point yeah. they all get loose and all that kind of stuff, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff has to happen.
0: Yeah. And he uses his uh, he uses his great um, uh, technology, uh, alien technology, to adapt to any new species so that he can fight them. And he's got kind of a Darth Vader look to him. Yeah. Like maybe a cross between Darth Vader and Predator or something. I don't know. Yeah. Judge Dredd. There are a couple of different things put together here.
2: Through this issue, we see more of the development between Johnny, Ben, and Alicia. And Johnny is constantly coming to Alicia's defense throughout this whole issue with different problems or different uh, threats, even though he doesn't have to because Ben is perfectly capable of it and she's with Ben anyway. But Johnny can't help himself. This is still new. This is still raw. And I like to see that he is still processing things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that's one thing that I uh, really like about this whole story arc is how he shows that nothing is just sort of over and done with. It takes time to process it all.
2: Alicia's bathing suit is now purple. I just noticed that. Yeah, <laughs> it's not green anymore. <laughs> another coloring mistake. Well, they got on the ship. Maybe she changed. Into another bathing suit? Yes. Looks exactly the same, just purple. I guess we didn't mention that Lijah. Sacrificed herself. Oh right, yeah. In the other issue. Wow. There's just so much in that issue that we forgot. <laughs> yeah, Elijah died, and, yeah. And, uh, and and that was good because we find out that Elijah, like we weren't sure if she's telling the truth. Did right. she really love Johnny or not? Right.
0: And you know she made the ultimate sacrifice yeah. for Johnny, and it's that moment when she's dying that he realizes that he actually does care for her, because whether he knew she was a scroll or not. He knows her personality. He knows who she is.
2: Yeah, but
0: he has, I think at this point, he has
2: every right, or at any point, he has every right to never talk or speak or look at Lijah ever again because he oh, yeah. got married under false pretenses. Totally, It was a complete sham. He was tricked into it. And, and he has every right to, to just walk away and brush it all off. But he starts to realize that, you know, this is the same person that I've spent yeah. my last few years with. Right. So he does actually know her, even if she doesn't look the same. Exactly. So they get placed into separate traps, and this is very reminiscent of issue 350, where they all have to go through right. different corridors, and they're or, all in a trap that's... Uh, or
0: or even the... Um, the fill, uh, What was it? Was it part of the annual? Um, or no, it was the filler issue where we had uh, Cosmos. Right.
2: Yeah, 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 exactly. And they're all trapped trapped in separate traps and they yep. all have to find their own way out
0: uh, but this one only takes ten one seconds. page to do it, <laughs> yep. so. it, it, it it's really funny uh, ben goes sheesh we must be getting old it took us a whole 10 seconds to get free <laughs> yeah okay so look on page 418 we see a bunch of different alien heads that he's mounted on the walls Yeah, this is interesting These you know- are, he, he says they're from uh, races he's already exterminated
2: um, one of them is very, in silhouette, looks just like a human head. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's supposed to be, like, Tom DeFalco or something like that <laughs> on the it, head there. I
0: don't know who it is, but, like, the silhouette is familiar because I know that face has been in an issue. Like, you know, sometimes how they have, like, oh, the writer or the artist or somebody, like, pop their head in at some point. I'm sure that that face has been there, but I don't remember who it is.
2: But to be f- fair, a lot of the Marvel staff... War glasses, head beards, right. and a receding hairlines. So that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it could be anybody. Uh, but what about these other alien races? Do you recognize any of the them?
0: The one on the left looks like a war wolf. Yeah, it kind of does. Except it's not silver, right? But I mean, coloring in this uh, in these issues is sort of spotty. That's so. true.
2: Yeah. But, and then there's one that kind of looks like a Skrull.
0: Yeah, which is very interesting because he definitely has not annihilated the Skrulls. And then the one above that
2: looks like Predator. Yeah. So I, I wonder <laughs> if it's supposed to be a Predator joke because um devos is kind of like a he's predator. kind of like
0: a predator and here he's defeated the predators yeah. yeah um the one in the top right it looks kind of like it has three faces on it like a tricentinel or something yeah i don't know the point of that one well uh shall we move on yeah the next one is issue 360 at the mercy of Dreadface. at the end of the last issue devos abandons ship and uh, the Fantastic Four are, are able to take his ship back to Earth. They crash land on an island. They won't all fit in the escape shuttle uh, to get home. So uh, Ben and Johnny are left on this island to hang out um, while Reed, Sue, and Alicia go back to New York to get a proper transportation. And uh, in the
2: la- in the, at the end of the last episode, or at, last, at the end of the last issue, there was an egg that cracked and a little ooze came out of it. Yeah. And that's what has affected uh some of the creatures on this island here. Right.
0: Now, I've read this issue I don't know how many times. So many. But it was only just rereading it this time that I realized something that Dreadface is a symbiote. Yeah. So yes, like like Venom you mean, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, a Klintar.
2: And I don't know if that's actually what this is, if that's the case. I did a
0: little bit of uh, digging around on the internet and people have seemed to have uh, made that a uh, fairly official assumption.
2: Yeah. Because it is. It absolutely yeah. is. It's oh, a totally. black ooze yep. that takes over the host. Yep. Um, however, this one is different because once it takes over... The vulnerable mo- to fire. It's vulnerable. Well, yeah. most A lot of aliens are, though. <laughs> Humans are as well. But once it takes over a creature, it speaks as the creature, on the creature's behalf. And so if it takes over Ben, it speaks um, as itself. Whereas the Venom symbiote doesn't do that. It's a silent partner, right?
0: We only saw it as, a, uh, as kind of a silent partner because maybe when it was um, given to Spider-Man, like it came out of like a clothing machine kind of thing. At least that's what they thought, right? Right. Maybe something happened to it during that. Um, when he's with Venom... Uh, when he's with Eddie Brock as Venom, um, they are two beings that work together, and so they say we. They speak on yep. behalf of each other. In the new, but Venom, it's still, it, but, in, but in, it's still Eddie speaking. But in the new comics, Eddie and the symbiote actually do have conversations. But it's all in his mind, isn't it? No, no. Like they'll actually have the piece of the symbiote come off and be a face oh, outside, okay. and they will talk to each other.
2: Because I just remember there was an issue where he, the symbiote, takes over his dog. Did you read yeah. that one? Uh, no, I don't think so. And I don't think, I can't remember exactly. I, I don't think that the dog spoke. It was just a silent.
0: Well, but um, uh, when it takes over the ape, it isn't able to speak either.
2: Um, oh, you're right. Yeah, that's true. So uh, yeah. hmm. so it's just when he yeah. takes over Johnny and
0: Ben. Yep. Um, but then also, he says, I am a conqueror of worlds, a slayer of vast civilizations. Um, and that, uh, fits with the idea of the Clintar very well. Yep. Not so much in the more recent Guardians of the Galaxy with, um, uh, Agent Venom. Okay. Um, But, uh, that was supposed to be like very peaceful time, uh, or the, 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 the aliens, the symbiotes were presented as very peaceful, but pretty much every other time. And it's now been retconned again. Uh, they're seen as like a war type people meant for taking over.
2: Right. This issue exists so that Johnny and Ben can reconcile everything that's happening with Alicia. Um, because if you remember back to the, the beginning when we did that episode of All in the Family um, and Ben comes back to find that Johnny has uh, married Alicia or no, is dating Alicia mm-hmm. and he's mad. He's furious. In fact, he purposely asks Crystal to join the team when Reed and Sue step out for a little while to In try to order to make yeah. Johnny jealous or, you know, to try and, yeah, it, it, to to play with that a little bit. Yeah. And it's, so this, it, it, he's come a long way to finally accepting that they're married and moved on. But now we're at this point where this tension is coming back again. It's like, how, yeah. where do these two characters stand with each other now that the truth is out there? And he kind of wants Alicia back now that Absolutely. he knows that everything's different.
0: Yeah. And, um... Uh, and is, he, is he, Johnny going to be okay with that? Right. And he even said uh, he wanted to stay on the island with Alicia. Oh, you know, I can protect her. You guys go back. Yeah. And Johnny instantly jumps up and goes, are you crazy leaving a blind woman in the jungle? Yeah. And part of that is, I mean, he's got a point. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but also it's like, well, if you get private time with her, then you're going to form a relationship again. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. he he might want that chance.
2: Right. So by the end of this issue, they work things out and it's really, really well told. It's, they do it, um, in such a way
0: that we, that I think you feel that they've come to a good understanding and that we can move forward from here. Yeah. Uh, there's a big explosion at the end and, um, you see Ben and Johnny walking out of the, uh, the rubble all like bruised and beaten up and stuff and they're supporting each other.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's good. Good metaphor. Ah, yeah. And that kind of brings us to the end of this storyline where that started at the very beginning of Tom DeFalco's run. And I remember reading this, like we had, um we had a few Spider-Man issues and that kind of stuff. They were all one shots, like one, like self-contained stories right. as comics were back then. And I remember when you got these issues, realizing that the story continued and then the story continued.
0: But not even continued. It had stuff before it.
2: Yeah, and then this issue has an actual V end at the end of it. I'm like, right. oh wow! So there was actually three or four issues that connected together. This yeah. is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: One other interesting bit is that um, Defalco uh, addresses the issue of Alicia reintegrating as well. Uh, when they get back to the Four Freedoms Plaza, oh yeah, she goes, "Oh, I don't have any money. I'm gonna have to borrow money for a cab to my apartment." And Sue's like, you don't have an apartment.
2: Yeah, you live with Johnny. Yeah. And she says, yeah, just burn all my stuff. I don't want right. anything to do it. That's there's... actually in the
0: next issue, but yeah. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I can't imagine yeah. the shock that that would be.
0: Because yeah. this has been years. And, and Sue's like, yeah, you know, we've got some, like, spare guest rooms. We'll set you up in one of those. But, I mean, it's, it's weird. It's very weird. Yeah, but, I'm, I'm glad, but I'm glad they do that. Um, because some other writers might just sweep it under the rug and be like, this is how it's going to be. Yep. Um, but then to actually address that is, is pretty cool. And uh, uh, w- when Ben encounters the gorilla for the first time, he calls it Bonzo. Right. Which is a reference to 1951, uh, the movie Bedtime for Bonzo, where <laughs> Bonzo is uh, the, the name of the, the monkey character in that movie. Yeah, we didn't say that these
2: these creatures are from a plane that was carrying circus animals that crashed on this jungle island. Oh, right. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, I don't exactly know why that was written in
0: there. Well, because they make it a point to show a picture of this island from overhead, and it's a small island in the middle of the ocean. So how else would there be, you know, some sort of cheetah and a, and a gorilla and all that kind of stuff on this on this island? Right. So dreadface, do we ever see dreadface again? We do. Okay, a few times. Really? Um. Yep. There's. Um, f- is it an annual coming up? I believe, and maybe one other time after that. Wow. A couple times.
2: Huh. They should explore this character more, especially if they want to connect him into the Venom universe. That would be really
0: cool. I mean, that's a big thing right now. There's a, there's a big, huge um, Carnage slash other symbiotes storyline going on right now. And they just um, tied Venom into this big, uh, larger, Clintar universe of the uh, symbiote god, uh, Null. Yeah. I'm going to tweet at Stegman. Oh, yeah. Because he's the one writing that, right? Yes.
2: I'm going to tweet at him and ask him when he's going to officially make uh, oh, yes. make Dreadface into the Yes, <laughs> please. <Yeah. laughs> See what he says. Okay, so moving on to Fantastic Four number 361. This is the final issue that's going to be in this series here. Miracle on Yancey Street. This is a Christmas story where Ben Grimm meets up with an old buddy of his. And the old buddy from Yancey Street uh, lets him know that his um, the kids are going missing. His son, in particular, is is gone. We don't know where he is, and so Ben goes to investigate, yep. and he finds um, that Doctor Doom is stealing these kids and trying to um, like brainwash them into doing his own st- his own work. Um, no, sorry, Doctor Doom is testing out drugs on these kids. Right, right. Yeah, I
0: have forgotten. <laughs> and this is a weird story because. One, why is Dr. Doom testing drugs out on these kids? It's not Dr. Doom's no. MO at all. And number two, the last time we saw him was in 350 where he supposedly eva- or, uh, dematerialized or something. Like the, the TVA killed him, supposedly.
2: And no one questions the fact that Doom is back or, right. you know, all this kind of stuff.
0: Like we as readers know that he was fine because he switched out um, himself and Kristoff for Doom bots at some point during the big battle but uh as far as the fantastic four know, he should be dead
2: um and and uh ben teams up with a one of the Yancey street gangs like well, a few kids and we get to know them and uh and they it's a sort of a development in the life of the Yancey street because they sort of accept ben yeah, now the yancy being...
0: street gang sort of goes through these periods of um ben's one of us still um, you know, uh, and he's a cool guy. And then on the other side, well, he left, he Yancey left, street. he left Yancey street. He mm-hmm. left us behind. He's working for the man now. And yeah.
2: yeah. So yeah, this is, and I, I, it kind of felt weird to have this issue so close to the other Yancey street issue mm-hmm. because it's a very different take. It's a very different take on, on the whole situation. And, um, and yeah, I just felt, it felt a little out of place.
0: It was kind of weird. Yeah, it's not a great story. Um, although I do like, um, as you were mentioning before, the follow-up with Alicia. Yeah. And where she's saying, burn all my stuff, I'll start from scratch again. Um, Johnny finds a gift that he had purchased for Alicia and was going to give to her before the whole thing happened. Yeah. And he's like, oh, do I give it to her or not? And, um yeah, and just watching all of those interactions and reactions is um, part of what kept me coming back.
2: There's a great character beat from Franklin as well as he... Yes. Um, because this is Christmas and everybody is so wrapped up in um, the Alicia stuff that no one has, you know, set up a Christmas tree or mm-hmm. got, gone shopping for presents or anything like that. And he tries really hard to set up Christmas himself for mm-hmm. everybody because he thinks this will yeah. bring the family together. And he
0: says, we need Christmas. Yeah. Uh, and I With all these great. things going on, like, yeah. I know that you and uh, and Alicia aren't going to be married anymore. We need Christmas.
2: Yeah. And it's just like, that's the sappiness that comes from Christmas specials. And I yeah. love it. I love <laughs> Christmas specials. Anytime there's a Christmas episode on a cartoon or a sitcom and stuff, it's just... Uh, yeah i eat it up so that aspect i loved the rest of the issue was a little on the weird side and in fact the 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 other christmas story that's in this book as a bonus feature which we talked about in the last
0: episode the holiday special was way better than this right yeah (laughs) um and that brings us because we've talked about the holiday special that brings us to the end of this volume There are a couple of bonus things at the end. I realized that uh, I mentioned, we'd mentioned the the, the trading cards in this episode, but then I just realized right now that we did last um, episode. Oh, right. So I'll just say it again. Um, There's a bonus at the end which shows some uh, Art Adams art, and that was used in the Marvel Series 2 trading cards for the team pictures and one of the battles. Yeah. At the very end of this book, we have... Um, two pieces of text. One is uh, an excerpt from uh, an introduction by Arthur Adams to X Men Legends Volume Three. Arthur Adams. The other one is Ralph, uh, an afterword for this volume by Ralph Macchio. All new, written exclusively for the Epic Collection. Right. And these are both really interesting because it gives their perspectives on uh, this time. The Arthur Adams uh, introduction actually talks about how he came to work on Fantastic Four with Walter Simonson. And uh, in the afterward by Ralph Macchio, he, um, he really just nails what makes a Fantastic Four comic a Fantastic Four comic. He says that this selection of, of comics uh, gave you everything a great Fantastic Four story is supposed to. Action, adventure, exploration, new concepts, strong character interaction, etc. And then he goes on to say... The Fantastic Four to me has always been, to me, about exploring new frontiers, reaching mind-altering new horizons, and remaining a family while doing it. And that is exactly what I would say Fantastic Four is supposed to be about. Yep. And I think most writers get that.
2: I don't think that there has been an FF run that hasn't had that. There have been ones that focus more on certain aspects of one or or the other. Yeah,
0: exactly. And even even DeFalco, who nails it so well here, I think by the time he gets to the end of his run, has sort of moved away from some aspects of that. Yeah. Uh, we've got the Heroes Reborn, which I think was supposed to be more flashy and action oriented, for sure, which didn't really work that well. Um, the stuff just after Heroes Return, yeah, you know, it had some of that, but um, I, I think that between this period here, we don't really see another great instance of this until Hickman's run. Um, I, I maybe would argue that. Straczynski
2: did a really good job with it, when he was on for a very brief time. Yeah, yeah, his was pretty good. Like and like I said, they they all hit those notes. Some just focus on certain parts
0: of those notes more than others. Mm-hmm. Two more things I want to point out about this afterward. One is that um, Ralph Macchio calls Paul Ryan the late and underrated Paul Ryan. Right. Which I think is very very true. Yes, Un- he underrated. is very late, isn't he? <laughs> too, oh, bad too show. soon. Too soon. <laughs> Uh, very underrated. Yeah. The other underrated. thing that I never, ever noticed is he said that people sort of took the world's greatest comic magazine, um, uh, caption sort of for granted and it just, it was there. And so he decided that he would change it up. Yep. Yeah. And so on several issues here, it doesn't actually say world's greatest comic magazine. It says something else. Actually, I have a clip of Roth Macchio talking about
2: that. <laughs> so maybe I'll
4: just play that right here. Right. One thing, though, um, you may, may have noticed this. One thing I kind of snuck in there and never had told anybody about was, as you know, the tagline for Fantastic Four is the world's greatest comic magazine. Yep. Well, if, if you look, because the first issue that Walt wrote and penciled, he really spent so much time on that we were starting to run late. We never missed shipping, by the way, I should say that. But we were coming dangerously close, so I thought, you know, this is taking a long time to get this out. So without telling anybody, I had them reletter the word the word greatest to latest. So if you look, at, <laughs>
2: oh yeah, look at the top,
4: yep, it's the right world's there. latest
2: comic magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful.
4: And I never told anybody. I just put it out there and let because most people. You know, as Sherlock Holmes says, "We see, but we do not observe." When you've seen the the tagline for so many years, you just kind of pass it over, and most people didn't notice it until yeah. I pointed it
2: out. To them. <laughs> so, that brings us to the end of our episode. This was a Oof. great start in uh, talking about Ralph, or sorry, Tom DeFalco and Paul Ryan's run. I sure hope that there is a follow-up epic collection released in uh, 2020 because I
0: can't wait to revisit um uh, oh, yeah. revisit these these well, stories again. Well, and 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 the stuff that's coming up is really really good, I think. Yeah. Um we've got new Fantastic 4 making their comeback and uh Wolverine fighting the thing. Some really neat stuff. And uh some deaths of some prominent characters
2: <laughs> and the return of Elijah. And the, uh, the aging of Franklin Richards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. All sorts of interesting things.
2: So the next time you're going to be on the show, I think we're going to loop
0: all the way back.
2: And I know people have been excited about this because uh, we've talked about, I've talked about personally, the beginning of Spider-Man, the beginning of Avengers, the beginning of the X-Men. But we haven't talked about the beginning of the Fantastic Four yet. Nice. So let's go all the way back to 1961 and talk about Fantastic Four epic collection volume one
0: back when comics were in chapters
2: yeah <laughs> so stay tuned for that uh check us out on all social media platforms facebook instagram twitter check out my patreon at patreon.com thunderquack and you can send me an email if you want to at epicmarvelpodcast@gmail.com. podcast at gmail.com but otherwise that's it for us and we will see everybody on the next episode goodbye